Hey, y'all. I'm Gretchen Purser, and this is The Mess is Mine, the podcast where we talk about faith and politics and all the things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. Thanks for stopping by. And if you get a chance, could you go to Apple Podcasts and leave me some stars or a review? It'll just help other people find us. Thanks. So you might be thinking we're going to talk about Donald Trump's indictment today, but the truth is that's, that situation's still unfolding, and there are like three more cases in the works. So we're just going to let that situation play out. Earlier this week, our world was shaken up again with another school shooting, so I want to talk about that. I want to unpack exactly how we got here. How did a gun that didn't even exist a few decades ago become America's most popular gun? How is a weapon that is so dangerous and easy to use so widely available, not to mention legal? And why are people so passionate about it? We're going to look at the history of this gun, but we're also going to talk about how we got here and how to get out of here. For some people, the conversation begins and ends with the Second Amendment to the Constitution. We talked about this about a year ago after the Uvalde shooting. If you who don't have your schoolhouse rocked down, we'll go over it again. It's only 27 words, and it's, quote, a well-regulated militia, remember that part, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, unquote. So as we talked about last time, the Constitution calls for guns to be well-regulated, and we are clearly not doing a good job of that. But the thing we didn't really talk about last time, and the thing that I had never really focused on, is the fourth word, and that's militia. See, this was 1791, so we didn't have a professional army to defend us if something went awry. So they needed citizens to be armed and ready to go in case we needed to defend ourselves against, like, England. Please don't think we're ungrateful for your enthusiasm. See, sometimes people misquote and misuse the Constitution to suit their own agenda, to justify their actions. Kind of like people do with the Bible. And lots of times, it's the exact same folks. Amen. Also, did you know the right to bear arms was not actually universally recognized as an absolute right until like 2008? It had been challenged several times in different courts around the country over many years. When I moved out to D.C., guns were illegal. You could not have a gun in the District of Columbia. So for my guy friends who'd moved in from other states and were big hunters, they had to stash their hunting guns in Virginia and Maryland or risk getting thrown in the slammer. So that was challenged, and in 2008, the Supreme Court ruled that, indeed, everyone did have the right to bear arms. And even then, it was a narrow 5-4 majority. So as you can see, the Second Amendment's pretty vague, it's pretty short, it's pretty broad. And for that matter, the Constitution, you know, it's a framework. It's by design that it's not specific. We're supposed to work out the details in the courts and then the legislature on our own. We're supposed to decide as a society what we think is appropriate and safe and what isn't. We're supposed to self-govern and put up our own guardrails. Oops. So part of understanding how we got here with this gun is understanding our misinterpretation and kind of bastardization of the Second Amendment. I'm going to give you a little pushback here. We've kind of become a society of being in our own camps and clinging to our own tribe and giving up on persuading the other side, just assuming that they will never agree and they'll never change their minds. If you have any Second Amendment friends, here's what I'd really like to know. How come the Second Amendment applies to an AR-15, but it doesn't apply to a bomb or to a machine gun or a grenade or a nuclear weapon? How do we go about deciding what's protected and what's not? I'm just curious. All right, let's shift gears. So since the Columbine shooting in 1999, right up until the Nashville shooting this week, there have been 376 school shootings and 175 school children have gotten murdered 
just for going to school. When asked about what could be done, Congressman Burchett from Tennessee had this to say. We can pass all the laws we want, but somebody's going to 3D print a book. Somebody's going to get ammonium nitrate like they did in Oklahoma and, and um, Timothy McVeigh. The laws don't work. Until people change their hearts, we're not going to see a change. Uh, so interesting that he brought up Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma. That bombing was in 1995. You want to know how many federal buildings we've had bombed since then? Uh, Mr. Congressman, that'd be none. You know why? Because the laws do work. We change what people are allowed to do. You used to be able to drive right by the White House, right up to the Capitol. You can't do any of that anymore. It's kind of inconvenient and it impedes your freedom to go where you want to go. But, you know, we don't have people blowing up buildings anymore either. Or picture this. What if George Bush climbed up on that webble outside the world, what used to be the World Trade Center after 9-11 and said, yeah, we're not going to fix this. Um, Until people change their hearts, people are just going to keep dying in airplanes. I mean, can you even imagine? Please. Everything changed after 9-11. All to make sure that this never happened again. Homeland Security, airport security. You want to talk about infringing on some rights. Let's talk about the TSA and their cavity check to get on an airplane. Thank you, Doc. You ever serve time? On the other hand, I don't want my plane to be used as a bomb, so I guess I'm kind of okay with it. So my question for now is, what inconveniences are we willing to endure so our nation's children can go to school without worrying about getting shot? Would you be willing to give up a hobby or a sport so that children don't get murdered in their classrooms? I feel like you would. All right, so let's pivot and talk about the AR-15 specifically and why people are so attached to it. So in the beginning, the hunters and the sportsmen did not like the AR-15 gun at all. It hardly looked like something that a gentleman or your granddad would carry. A couple of decades ago, the NRA was primarily outdoorsmen, hunters. Think barber jacket, not flak jacket. So they originally rejected it. It just looked menacing and it seemed like overkill for home protection and certainly didn't seem sportsmanlike for hunting. And they were illegal anyway because of the assault weapons ban, but that ban expired in 2004. I like when a plane crashes, a whole bunch of things have to fail at the exact same time. This is kind of what happened in this scenario. The expiration coincided with the post-9-11 patriotism and military glorification. You know, you had President Bush's swagger and mission accomplished. You had Toby Keith wanting to put a boot in somebody's ass. There was heroism and a halo effect for the soldiers over fighting the terrorists in Iraq and Iran, even though Alan Jackson didn't know the difference. This also happens to coincide with Smith & Wesson having a really bad few years. They just didn't have any increase in sales. People that wanted guns had guns, and so they were flat. They needed something new and exciting. So on the nightly news, because we all used to watch the same news, you'd see the soldiers over there fighting, carrying an AR-15. Which, by the way, fun fact, AR-15 does not stand for Assault Rifle. It's Armalite Rifle Company, which was the original company that designed the guns in the 1950s. And they were designed for soldiers. Smith & Wesson was looking for something exciting, but they never mass-produced a rifle, and they'd been around since, like, 1853. So the goal was to make it look cool so it would sell. A Smith & Wesson spokesman likened it to someone who would purchase a Corvette. You know the deal. Sports cars, long guns, are all supposed to represent compensating for something. I just can't think of what it is right now. So Smith & Wesson and a bunch of their competitors came up with some ad campaigns. And as you can imagine, they were just dripping with testosterone. With images of soldiers and snipers. One of them even said, consider your man card reissued. I mean, is that not embarrassing? I guess not, because it worked. So the assault rifle really took off. And the gun manufacturers loved it because a profit from a handgun for them was about a $200 net profit. And their profit from 
an AR weapon was more like $1,000 per unit. So we got cool, we got manly, and we got profitable for the gun companies. And I don't know if y'all have shot guns before. I mean, I have, and it's harder than you think. It's it's tougher to, to hit targets than you think it is. So what people like about this particular gun is that it fires a bunch of rounds quickly. It's steadier, so it's easier to hit a target. It's lighter weight, and it doesn't have a big kickback like a lot of heavier powered rifles do. I mean, people just say it's fun to shoot. They just like shooting them. And most people, let me go ahead and say this, that have AR-15s are not murderers and they're not bad people. They just like to play with their guns. It's fun for them. Okay, but here's the problem. The same things that make it fun and easy to hit your target and very effective for hobbyists also makes it fun, easy to hit your target, and very effective for the mass murderers. So we're only about three years into production at this point, so we don't have any idea of the kind of destruction that's on the horizon. Right now, it's just fun to shoot. It's not really symbolic of anything. It's not a political symbol. But it's 2008, and that's all about to change. Yes, we can! Yes, we can! All of a sudden, George Bush is gone, and you've got a brand new president. And he's a liberal Democrat, community organizer from Chicago, and Fox News is telling everybody that he wants to take their guns. Oh, and also, he's the first black president. Assault rifles were flying off the shelves. All guns were, but particularly those guns. At this point, we still hadn't seen mass murders from this gun, but then came December 14th, 2012. That's when a 20-year-old walked into an elementary school in Connecticut and mowed down 26 people. 20 of them were little children. So this is where I'm naive, because after Sandy Hook, I thought, and I think a lot of people thought, that sales of this gun would plummet. But you know what happened? President Obama and the Democrats rightly pushed to ban the AR-15. But the gun lobby and the gun companies convinced their customers that the Constitution allowed them to carry any gun they want. And to ban this gun would to be an infringement of their constitutional rights. So for a moment there, there was a PR war to win, but the good side lost. The Democrats, as is so often the case, couldn't make a cohesive argument. And the Republicans were increasingly terrified of their base, which was convinced that they were going to be under siege from the federal government at any moment. And you know the rest. The guns flew off the shelves. They couldn't keep them in stock after Newtown. Um, The prices went up. And in the year following Newtown, they sold 3.5 million AR-15s, which is more than they'd ever sold in the history of the gun. So you go from a gun that didn't even exist hardly prior to 2004 to a gun that's by far the most popular in the United States at this point. And according to the National Shooting Sports Federation, there were about 20 million of them in 2020. But because of the uptick during COVID, they think that number is now closer to 23 or 24 million. Um, I'll put this information on my website if you're interested. I think the sheer numbers of the guns are what have people baffled and overwhelmed and say that we can't do anything. Because the truth is, at this point, there are so many guns out there. Even if we passed an assault weapons ban, which the Republican Party seems loath to do, um, we still have a lot of guns out there. So what's the solution to that? What's the answer? I certainly don't presume to know, but a real big obstacle we've got right now is a Republican Congress wrapped around the axle of FU politics. And I'm sorry, but the fact that they all consider themselves Christians is just more insulting. I mean, do not send me a Christmas card celebrating the birth of our Lord, the Prince of Peace, with your whole family holding rifles that are designed to murder people. What would Jesus do? Um, not that. In a sad twist of irony, the congressman from the 5th District of Tennessee, which is the Nashville district, which is where these people were murdered, he sent out a Christmas card just like that last Christmas. I'll put a picture of him on my website so you can see it. In the days following the shooting, he was asked if he had any regrets. Give a listen. 
Any regrets about that Facebook post and the photo um, from your Christmas card? Why, why would I regret a photograph with my family exercising my rights to bear arms? I mean, y'all, this is within hours of his constituents being murdered. He then went on to blame it on mental health because those are the Republicans' talking points of the day. Nobody would ever really heard of this guy anyway, but under the category of karma, he's kind of the new George Santos. He, he's told all these tall tales about going to Dartmouth and Vanderbilt and all this stuff, which is just all nonsense. He took some like online class, but said he had advanced degrees from these places. His name is Andy Ogles, so look him up. It's probably going to be a saga that follows him around for a while because I feel like there are more lies than this. In the interest of both sidesism, maybe he just got confused. I mean, he went to like some middle Tennessee college, so maybe, I mean, Nashville is in the middle of Tennessee and Vanderbilt's in Nashville, so maybe he was confused. Details. And yeah, we've got a mental health crisis in this country, and people want to blame all the gun violence on mental health. But a lot of our mental health crisis is because of our gun crisis. Feel a lack of control. You feel like nobody's doing anything to fix the problems. Your anxiety rises. If you feel like you can't keep your kids and your family safe, feel like you're living in a war zone, and then your congressman stands up and tells you that they're not going to do anything about it, that's not the world's greatest game plan. As a Republican, I want to hear solutions from my side. I want to hear what we're going to do. And I know they're terrified of the gunners. They're terrified of their base. Even Donald Trump was. He wanted to reinstate the assault weapons ban, and his staff talked him out of it two different times. So what do we do? What can we realistically do? We can start by changing the narrative. If Smith & Wesson can make it cool to have an AR-15, then you can help make it uncool. You ask your dad or your brother-in-law or your neighbor or whoever it is with these guns, ask them why, why it is that they hold that hobby more dear than they do human life. Get them to stop and think about it a minute. Secondly, you got to vote and vote on this issue and make this issue count. Let your members of Congress know that if they wear AR-15 pins and they glorify violence, they'll be called out for it. There'll be consequences at the ballot box and they'll be voted out. I'll put a list of these folks on my website. And I don't care if you're in the reddest of red districts. People can be persuaded because mostly they're good people. After the Uvalde shooting last year, Joe Biden actually passed a bipartisan gun law, and it was the most sweeping legislation we've passed in three decades. It didn't go nearly far enough, and it's not going to stop every shooting. But this problem wasn't created overnight, and we can't fix it overnight. And yeah, we're a little bit behind, and it's a big job. But as the old saying goes, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I know we talk about the base nonstop, but the base on both sides is pretty small. You have a voice, too. You have congressmen. You have senators. So do your friends and family. What you say matters. It's numbers. It's the art of persuasion. Convince your Uncle Joe and your cousin Billy that having an AR-15 doesn't make them look cool and it doesn't make them look manly. It makes them look like a neo-Nazi that doesn't care about dead kids. Every person we can convince to walk away from their assault weapons is a step in the right direction. That's how change happens. Peer pressure. Word of mouth. After a while, something that seemed cool does not seem cool anymore. Like tanning beds and smoking. Isn't that cute? She's coughing. Oh. <laughs> but for this to work, all the normies have to speak their mind. Y'all gotta say something. And I know it's way easier just to ignore things and move along, but truthfully, we need to treat this like a life or death issue. Because it is. Woo! That was a heavy one. So sorry, you guys. That's all I got for today. Next time we'll talk about something light and airy like climate change or nuclear war. <laughs> just kidding. Maybe we'll just talk about former presidents that get indicted. Thanks for listening, y'all. Hope the sun's shining wherever you are, and I'll talk to you next time.